Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, hey, good afternoon, everybody. Scott Luton, Greg White, and Kevin L. Jackson with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, how are you doing? I'm doing well, but man, that hair looks styling, Scott Luton. That is <laughs> oh. impressive. It's the easiest way. What's easiest, that? Way, easiest way to lose 15 pounds is to <laughs> chop off a lot of hair. It's like the Air Force style too. Well, we're gonna we're gonna touch on where Greg is momentarily, but Kevin, how are you doing this morning? You know, it's 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 great after uh awesome weekend. I mean, we had Juneteenth, we had Father's Day, and we had a birthday to celebrate. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> busy, busy weekend. All kinds of things. Lots to celebrate for sure. And I enjoyed, as I was saying, Prisha, I enjoyed everybody's uh, social shares and pictures across across social media. So, But today's all about the supply chain buzz, uh, where, where Kevin, Greg, and I are going to share some of the leading stories that should be on your radar uh, across the global business world. Uh, of course, we go live every Monday and Thursday here on Supply Chain Now uh, at 12 noon Eastern time. So, uh, get ready, warm up your, your POV, because that's what we want to hear as Kevin and Greg and I share some of these stories. All right, so let's get down to work. We're going to say hello to everybody here momentarily, but yeah. Greg, you got to let us know, where, where, are you, where are you at today? So um, I, I kind of pre, pre, uh, previewed this a little bit last week, but um, I'm at an incubator and amazing co-working and makerspace in Wichita, Kansas, my hometown called Groover Labs. So um, the founders, uh, Tracy Hoover and and Kurt Gridley, hence Groover, get it? <laughs> they uh, started a company called Amber Waves um, and they sold it to US Robotics. And now what they're doing is they are kind of the pipeline of tech, tech-enabled business in, in Wichita and it's really interesting because this week I'll be meeting with a number of people, president of Wichita State University. That's the first time I've done that when I wasn't apologizing for one of my fraternity brothers doing something. Um, I remember you. <laughs> well, fortunately, this is a few presidents in, so no. But the dean of men, which what the title was called back then, the dean of men does still remember me, Dean Bradley. Oh, dean so Dean Bradley. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But anyway, this is a great initiative. Uh, of course, there's a ton of infrastructure. Scott, you've actually lived here in the Air Force. And um, Tracy and, and Kurt moved back from Boston after they sold their company and have started getting invested in the tech ecosystem about 15 years ago. Decided to start this and invite a few of us founders, um, Wichita and Homers, um, back to help mentor and advise some of these companies and help to create some connections that help bring the problems to the people that can solve them. And just this amazing space, I'm looking out on it now, but just this amazing space, which is apparently a really rare combination of co-working space and a maker space. You can do physical um, prototyping and that sort of thing here if you've got a, a hardware type product or just bring your startup here and be able to sit with people who are very talented and experienced every single day to help you get started and going. Awesome. I'm sure they're happy to be uh, getting back to physical things after the, uh, you know, yeah. last few months, right? It's, fun, it's funny you say that, Kevin, because this is the first time I've actually met any of these people in person. And they started this in February of 2020. Hmm. They never really got started and they're starting over uh, again, though they have been able to facilitate other than physical activities here. So, right. um, but you know, this is a really entrepreneurial city, Pizza Hut, Renaissance Center, a number of other companies founded here, uh, Residence Inns. I had my after prom party at the very first Residence Inn. Nice, wow. nice. Uh, as the Dean will remind you, 
fat, drunk, and stupid is no way. No way to go through life. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Greg, I look forward to getting your updates all week, a full week in Wichita, including yeah. Take Your Shot on Wednesday, which we may touch on later in the uh, broadcast here today. Yeah. But hey, in the meantime, let's make a few programming notes really quick yeah. before we dive into the stories. Uh, we got our big webinar tomorrow with uh, the groups from uh, the group from Ping and John Galt. So tune in for uh, a great journey and story of their supply chain transformation. Millions and millions of different types of golf clubs they've got to be prepared and build a supply chain around. So join us. Uh, registration is still open, and the link is in the comments. Uh, hey, we're still pushing in June, the month of June. Subscribe and review. So we're kind of taking a page out of the PBS playbook. Instead of a, a telethon to raise funds, it's kind of an ongoing telethon to ask you for your uh, subscriptions to our programming and, of course, your reviews. Let us know how we're doing. That helps get the word out. And uh, that's, of course, kind of important when you're a digital, a global digital uh, media platform. Okay, September, of course. We're really proud, Greg and Kevin and the whole team here, uh, to serve as the exclusive virtual provider of the Supply Chain Insights Global Forum. Now, Greg and Kevin, we've gotten a couple of questions around this. So um, we aren't going to be publicly live streaming this event virtually. Uh, right. It's going to be a registration-only um, uh, live stream, if that makes sense. And there's a better way of putting that. But So you've got to register. Uh, it's a hybrid event. There's going to be a collection of folks there in Tennessee. And then we're going to be broadcasting uh, to registrants uh, the the uh, virtual feed. So y'all check that out. The 7th, 8th, and 9th of September. We would love to have you join us. Yeah, if you want to participate in that and you can't can't afford or but don't have budgeted like so many companies don't, Kevin, the, the travel money to spend five grand to be there, you can pay a much lesser cost and be there virtually. I think it's pretty cool to see uh, companies doing this sort of hybrid model. And of course, where else would we expect that innovation than from Loris to Siri, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, I'm seeing companies actually realizing a lot more return on their investment by participating in these, these hybrid events. You can get more people informed. You can interact with more people. And it really in, increases your ability to build and leverage your network. So I would strongly recommend companies that, you know, this is, has not been on your radar to uh, really look into participating from a, a virtual point of view. Yeah. Excellent point. And it's going to be highly engaging. That's, that's, that's uh, the name of the game, just like our live streams. You know, while we are going to have the feed from the speakers and the breakout sessions and networking, all that stuff, we're going to be engaging the folks that sign up and hopefully bringing them into the stream as well getting their takes and uh, on what they've heard and, and, and what they're talking about. So join us in September. Okay. So before we get to the news, we've got, I think, four or five stories we're going to walk through here today. Uh, I want to say hello to a few folks, Greg and Kevin. We're going to start with Pat, who's tuned in from Ontario, Canada, via LinkedIn. Pat, thanks for getting out, out ahead of us. That's exactly, if you're a first-timer to the stream, we'd love to know where you're tuned in from. Yeah. So Pat, welcome. Look forward to your perspectives here today. Davin is with us. Davin, hope this finds you well, my friend. You've been busy. Uh, Greg's nodding his head. Uh, Davin, there must be like five or six of them. Uh, he's cloned himself. He's been all, all across the social uh, uh, sphere here lately. No doubt. Jeff Miller. Hey, Jeff, great to see you. There hope he is. You well. <laughs> great there he you. is. Um, all right. So, um, Avinash Snake, if I got that right, Avinash Snake. Hey, if I mispronounced that, I apologize. Hey, I'm, we've all been there, right? Needing that oh, job. Yeah. Um, get connected with the folks in the cheap yeah. seats. We're also going to give you some market intel that you hopefully you can use to put some irons in the fire. But uh, all the best to you, and let us know where you're tuned in from, too. Peter Bolay, all night and all day. Peter, enjoyed seeing your pictures you sent of your Father's Day or maybe a previous Father's Day. Uh, or maybe you just look that good. Uh, Peter, looks like 27 years old. Uh, all we need is a picture. <laughs> That's filters, Scott. <laughs> I'm, it's amazing I'm late to the game. 27. He was 28 last week. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so three musketeers on the on digital trans oh, supply oh. chain. Wow, I didn't know I was a uh, musketeer. How That's about good. that? 
promotion. a nod to Xavier or something. <laughs> uh, but great to have you here, Peter uh, Abdul. Uh, hello, he, he, uh, Malik, rather Malik from Malaysia. Hey, great to have you here via yeah. LinkedIn. Uh, let's see here. Mervin is with us. Hello, Mervin. Hope this finds you well. By the way, we tried. Amanda put it in the comments. There was a dish that Mervin suggested in our insiders group on LinkedIn, and Amanda found a recipe, and it was delicious. We had it the next two nights. Uh, wow. So really? Good. Sure did. I saw um, some things. Very good. Some Sorry. things are better when they marinate, right? Yes. You know, I have the first night, then the lasagna is like that. Oh, so yeah. The second night. <laughs> <laughs> you are so right. Nothing like sitting in the fridge overnight to get that flavor into the pasta. <laughs> I saw an interesting recipe. Chicken and waffle pot pie. Ooh. Oh, oh yeah, man, it sounds great. Yeah, I got to figure out how to make that happen. Amanda's <laughs> looking right now. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> so Kelly Barner, host of Dial P for Procurement, is with us. Hello, Kelly. Hope this finds you well. Uh, and of course, Mohib, uh, who Greg's gonna be connecting with uh, this week a couple times. Uh, yeah, I owe him a lot of thanks. Thanks. <laughs> so I'm meeting with the people at um, a couple of big programs at Wichita State. Uh, the supply chain master's program leader and one of their top um, one of their top professors who's who I've met with before, great team, and the president again without an apology, at least until after the meeting. I may have to apologize after the meeting. <laughs> well, uh, Mohib, we look forward to to hearing more from you and uh, hearing from what you and Greg have got cooking up this week. Okay. Folks, and, and hello to everybody else. I see Nick and Bob and Ankit and uh, many other folks. Welcome, welcome. Wow. Look forward to There's a lot hearing. of people here today. Jeez. There is. Everybody's chomping a bit after a, a long weekend. But let's let's get into, gentlemen, let's get into some of the news stories that we're tracking. Mm. Sure. So I'm going to lead off with a couple of stories here, and I, I'm going to kind of give the Reader's Digest version, and then I'm going to circle back and get both Greg and Kevin's take and, and some takes from folks in the cheap seats. So – up first here, according to this Reuters report, U.S. trade officials have filed a complaint against an auto parts factory in Mexico. Now, here's here's the gist of it. The complaint was related to the Tridenex facility, which is in the border city of Matamoros. If I got that mm -hmm. right, Greg? Yeah. Yeah. Matamoros. There's a big transshipment location on the border. Is yeah. it? Um, so the complaint focused on labor, uh, specifically questioning if workers have the right to freedom of association and collective bargaining. Uh, Mexican officials have already responded and have accepted the U.S. request for review of the situation. Hmm. So here, here's a here's perhaps a bigger takeaway. We'll see how the investigation goes. But the bigger takeaway, I think two things when it comes to the USMCA, right? Yeah. First, the trade agreement's labor provisions, which NAFTA didn't really address in that long-running trade agreement. So then this is this is already the second complaint, uh, just since it's been ratified and in place. So labor is a big part of the trade agreement now. And then secondly, the USMCA establishes a rapid response mechanism for labor complaints and violations, and 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 it it, it manifests itself as uh, how quickly the Mexican government has gotten back and and um, acknowledged and accepted the complaint and the uh, request for review. So, um, Greg, what's your key takeaways here? Well, you know, feels like we've almost forgotten to talk about USMCA. I recall um, at a trade show, which seems like forever ago now, that we were talking with the uh, consul general from Mexico in Atlanta, the southeast, you know, in charge of trade for the southeastern U.S. And he was very excited about it. We were very excited about it. I think we kind of lost track of it. But, hey, it's clearly working if this kind of interaction happens and the response comes that rapidly, then that is a fantastic advancement and, and exactly what we intended, right, Indeed. with this partnership um, on, in North America. Uh, I think we're, you know, being in the States, Canada and, and Mexico, we're in, in North America uniquely situated to have only three countries on our continent, right? right. And um, to be able to coordinate that was I think a lot easier than a lot of us expected, though it took some years to, you know, of kind of slogging through NAFTA to figure out what we ought to be doing differently. But when they put it together and then they put it to use, that's just so encouraging. 
Agreed. Excellent commentary yeah. there, Greg. Kevin, how about you? Well, you know, I think it's very important to understand uh, or, or have these type of capabilities to be able to better monitor labor, its use, its capability, and 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 uh, across our borders. But something that I don't think we're going to talk about as far as a news item, but I read uh, earlier this week that uh, 40% of the job losses in labor are due to the implementation of artificial intelligence. So as artificial intelligence is going to expand across just about every industry, I think these types of complaints are going to increase. And we're going to have to figure out how to sort of moderate between a a company leveraging artificial intelligence in order to improve quality and responsiveness to the industry. Because we we all expect to just think about what we want and then a drone to drop it on our front porch, right? Right. Um, Or if it's actually anti-trade or or anti-union. So this is going to be a difficult thing to monitor. Yeah, agreed. And the main dollar question is, are, are bots and drones allowed to freely associate and yeah. <laughs> collect exactly. bargaining? We'll see. Um, but e- excellent points. I like kind of both sides of that news story that y'all presented there. Uh, and it's, it's neat. Uh, it, it's, it appears it's a great start to, you know, the first, what, six months or so uh, of USMCA adoption. And I love the... Um, the communication between governments uh, of the parties, uh, and you know, to protect our workers, that's going to be important, mm-hmm. regardless yeah. of what the topic is. Okay, moving right along, uh, let's talk about um, ports, cargo, containers, ships. Do we have to? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, speaking of global trade, of course, the ports on the West Coast have gotten beat up. It feels like forever now, right? Because of the mm-hmm. backlogs, but. As reported here by CNN Business, Chinese ports are having their own issues. So, again, here's the gist of this story. And it it was a pretty extensive uh, story. You'll have to check it out over at CNN Business. But a a coronavirus outbreak, of course, uh, took place in southern China a few months back. And it, it, of course, created a lack of available labor, right, to unload these ships. Uh, And it led to, of course, ships and containers sitting in ports, adding to the backlog, right? Now, this mainly impacted the ports across the Chinese province of Guangdong. If I said that right, Greg and Kevin, Guangdong? Guangdong? Guang, uh, perhaps. Uh, yeah. Well, Guangdong, yeah, it's Guangdong, yeah. Okay, good, good, yeah. good. Oh, so that's yeah, where, sorry, we got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got a knack for, for <laughs> creatively mispronouncing things. But, um, you did pretty well there. No, no. You can give high marks, Kevin. I, actually, Guangdong, I got a story about that. That's the only place I've been expelled from a country was in Guangdong. <laughs> wow. We'll have to dive deeper into that story. <laughs> so uh, ports across the southern province of Guangdong have seen the biggest impact. Now, the outbreak has been contained, but that's no longer the story. You know, the ports and workers are back at it. But some of these ports aren't back at full capacity, uh, like the port of Yantian. Uh, and, the, and, of course, the damage has already been done, right? Mm. Some of the ports in this area are seeing their biggest backlog since 2019. So, Kevin, I'm going to come to you first. Yeah. Um, any, any thoughts here? Well, first of all, you may not recognize Guangdong, but it's right there near, near Hong Kong. I'm mm-hmm. sure you've heard of Hong Kong. And there's so much trade that comes across the border uh, there. Um, This could be huge globally. Um, And in parallel to this, there's really been a crackdown in information and free information in in Hong Kong uh, as the uh, central uh, government is taking more control of of the information there. So... this is going to drive a reduction in information uh, from that area. So we're hearing about this stuff now, but think about what we're not hearing about and how that may affect the global supply chain. That's what I'm worried about. Yeah, excellent point there, Kevin. 
Gregory. Uh, yeah, I can tell you that if we're talking about it now, it already has impacted holiday shopping because a lot of holiday inventory traditionally starts landing around the second, the beginning of the second half of the year, right? To get positioned um, for distribution or retail, be that retail, physical, or, mm. or e-commerce. Um, so if we're hearing about it, then, and it's still going on, it will most definitely impact the availability of holiday goods. Um, and, and, you know, to Kevin's, maybe put a finer point on what Kevin's saying, of course, China is lying to us about the, uh, the extent and the depth of this. When I say China, by the way, I mean Chinese government. Right. Um, right. Right. Um, so um, we don't know what the truth is. And, I, and if you look at the statistics around, um, if you look at the statistics around uh, coronavirus in China, they haven't gone up appreciably since the beginning of coronavirus when they reported around 80,000 deaths. So you have to wonder, too, whether this is some sort of concerted effort either by the, the Chinese government or maybe even by shipping lines to constrain availability yet further. Because as we've had reported by some of the freight uh, forwarders and brokers and, and uh, people that we work with, like mm -hmm. Enrique at Vector, um, containers are three times what they were in the past. The so, cost, yeah. Uh, so, you know, people are paying, they are willing to pay to get this stuff shipped. And if they are, um, you know, in a country with literally billions of people where they can literally order them to do anything that they want them to do, they could simply provide the labor to get this work done if they wanted to. Mm. Uh, excellent points there uh, from you both. Uh, you know, I want to also add some perspective in, according from the article, uh, that port of Yantian. The disruption there, uh, it's, un, it's been unable to handle some 357,000 20-foot containers. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, the disruption there has already surpassed the Suez Canal disruption in terms of overall freight volume. So, um, but as Greg mentions, the damage has been done. We'll see just yeah. to, to what degree. Well, well, sure. The other thing is that Shenzhen is there in Guangdong province also, and that's the largest manufacturer of smartphones globally in that city. Yeah, man. So uh, get it now while you can. Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> Don't wait till Christmas Don't or get, Hannah yeah. could uh, get your um, cell phones your cell uh, phone, right. for gifts. Okay, uh, I want to share a couple of great comments here. Um, let's let's start with. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna pass that one, Peter. Peter, good try, man. I gotta skip over that one. Uh, <laughs> Nick says, "Hey, if you have a little speedboat, you qualify for being a marine carrier now. How about that?" <laughs> Great. Um, David wants to hear uh, your story. We'll have to d dive in deeper, maybe on a Veteran Voices episode, Kevin. Um, now, Peter does talk about the, the Liverpool uh, port there is, uh, I can't click on that that link, but it, it says it's imploding as congestion grows, clearly. Uh, Jeff Miller uh, says, AI fuels the accelerating trend of job loss through organizational efficiency improvements and restructurings and less through familiar, uh, familiar labor efficiency improvements. Kevin, you mm -hmm. want to respond to Jeff's comment there? Well, one of the things is that um, the AI is enabling the um, automation, and the automation is affecting the labor. Uh, it's not about labor efficiency. You just don't need humans right. on the labor if you can get you know, uh, robots to do uh, the labor. So yep. the improvements in AI are making the robots better. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, I think in a lot of cases, too, it, it is serving labor in, to some extent because it's doing what's dirty, dark, and dangerous, right? Which right. is why people stay away from manufacturing, for instance, in droves. I mean, the truth is, in a lot of industries, it's not costing jobs. It's replacing jobs or it's filling jobs that people won't take. Yeah, so, people won't take. But then... The, the the challenge though is is upscaling the workforce. Upscaling the workforce. Yeah, you're dead on. That's right. And I think we I think that, Kevin, that strikes me as a significant gap in in how we need to change education and um, technical and and um, workforce training, right? Oh, yeah. We I need to get people skilled in more. Look, yeah. and, I mean, at $15 an hour, it is now inevitable that hamburgers will be made by robots at McDonald's. So right. 
So, but that still leaves work for people to do at McDonald's. We just have to get people skilled for what that work is. And I hate to go on a tangent, but no, one of the problems in the United States is uh, the ability to teach these new skills under uh, apprenticeships, right? Countries like Germany, this is part of their culture to bring people out of school, to give them uh, apprentice jobs, to teach them what they need to do in real life. Here in the, in the United States, we don't have that as a culture. We don't have that in our training programs or education uh, or education uh, programs. So it's going to hit here much worse than in other countries. Yeah, you're right. And and I, I, I've spoken with a lot of educators who expressed that same frustration. You didn't express this frustration, just fact, but they do have it as frustration because they've seen the German model work. Realschule, where you learn a trade, gymnasium, where it, at high school level, you go on towards a college path. And we have pushed students towards the college path to the extent that there, even before COVID, there were millions and millions of skilled trades jobs that were going unfulfilled. Mike Rowe and his Dirty Jobs initiative. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, that that's our maybe that's our best great hope of trying to get people into these jobs in the workforce. And frankly, a lot of these jobs are significantly higher paying than jobs that college students are taking out of college. Two right. and three times the salary. All right. So, uh, Brady, Brady. We did. You, <laughs> it's all, you know it's good, you know good, Kevin? When we're remote, he can't cut our mics anymore. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but it's right. You know, hey, hey, Scott, okay, we're going to go over time today. Just, just accept <laughs> it. Just deal, with it. <laughs> deal with it, right? Uh, good stuff. Brandy says, hey, I think that was the same argument used during the first industrial revolution. Good point there, Brandy. Mm. Uh, Azalea uh, agrees with her. Great to have you both here. Um, also, now Mervin poses an interesting question. And Greg, I'm going to start with you since he, he, he mentions you. Is, is not balance possible? Uh, I remember Greg giving an example. He says in case of autonomous carriers that the last mile delivery or short hauling should be left to the truckers only. What about yeah, the example he's specifically addressing is long haul autonomous trucking, but then something like a port captain, right, who comes in and, and in the case of Atlanta, maybe pulls it off, the truck pulls off the side, it's I-75 and 285, and then a, a port captain, someone who knows the, the um, roads of the city, then drives it the rest of the way to the delivery point. So there, I think there is, there is some opportunity for that. I think Mervyn... The point that Kevin and I were just talking about is I'm not sure that we're at least in the States, Mervyn's in Ireland. So Ireland. So um, at least in the States, I'm not sure that we're equipped to upskill or enable in that case, that would actually be a boon to the trucking industry because they're, I mean, they're getting fewer and fewer drivers every year. And that's because people don't want to drive so far away from home. So it happens to fit there. In other industries, it's maybe not as it's certainly not as as simple a fit as, as that. And it's going to take um, a bit more work. And the concern being not that the work can't be done, but whether at least U.S. infrastructure and education is enabled to do that right this instant. Yeah. Excellent point. Kevin, anything to add? Yeah, no, I'm 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 good because you're okay. going to start turning us off then. Yeah. <laughs> well, sp speaking of the <laughs> speaking of the ports in China, Charles says, "Oh man, you got to buy your number two pencils and coats now." Uh, out ahead of the, the <laughs> issue. Go back to school. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> back uh, to, uh, just back. I'm looking at the date here, not the time. Back to school is probably already in stock. Trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you. I mean, you might be right with. With smartphones and other electronic devices, they are probably behind the curves again. Mm. Yeah. Well, great to have you with us here, Memory. Uh, and by the way, Mervin, great. Appreciate that question. Um, and Nick says, uh, Nick, hope this finds you well. The main difference here is that the U.S. has more road to cover compared to Europe. And there's certainly, yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And in the bigger sense, as Greg and Kevin both were speaking to, there's there's uh, really big and unique geographic um, you know, unique dynamics or, mm, as it yeah. relates to uh, whether it's labor, like Greg and Kevin were talking about, or the infrastructure, or you name it. So it's not one size fits all or one challenge fits all. Um, okay, 
So for the sake of time, there's a lot more we could talk about this, I know. But for the sake of time, I want to move into the next story here. And Kevin, let's see here. We're going to be talking cyber. Congress here in the States is looking to beef up cybersecurity efforts and infrastructure. So tell us more about this here, Kevin. Well, when when you hear somebody talk about infrastructure, you think about roads, you think about you know, trains, you take about bridges, maybe maybe you'll think about the uh, electric grid. Um, but you really also have to think about the internet because that's a key part of our entire national infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And the internet has been really attacked uh, with ransomware. Um, and uh, the supply chain is really being attacked with um, uh, software, issues with software. And the, the new administration has is, is really been, oh, I mean, we, we had a, a problem with oil on the East Coast being shut down for, right. for, for six days. Um, so they're, uh, they're, they're really being forced to, you know, do something, then think. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, you know, yeah exactly. Uh, so they've, they've issued a lot of, these cybersecurity executive orders to try to protect the security of the internet. These executive orders and directives and policy changes. Uh, now, I'm not saying that it's the wrong thing to do. Um, and in some ways, it's probably the right thing to do. But we really need to think more because uh, we're trying to catch up to a problem that's been around for years that has been ignored uh, for years. And Congress is not going to be left behind doing doing things without thinking, right? So they're teeing up all kinds of laws around the cybersecurity agenda. Um, now, I'm, I am happy, I'm ecstatic that they're finally doing something, right? But there's been like 115 cybersecurity-related bills trying to work through the legislative wow. process. Okay, because of these this uh, cybersecurity crisis, right? Now they think it just happened last week. No, it's been here for years. Uh, so, but you know, so they're not thinking enough. All right, and these bills are ranging from uh, digital integrity of the pipelines to enhancing the uh, electoral system. Uh, no politics in that, of course. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the, the, this all goes also goes directly to the supply chain. Um, so uh, this hap- this is going to affect everybody, right? Well, and and Greg, coming to you next. Um, you know, one, one of the thoughts we've shared a couple times is it really cybersecurity issues haven't reared their head as much as they could have throughout the pandemic. I mean, of course, there's been some big noticeable attacks, but uh, what are your thoughts here, Greg? Well, Kevin's better equipped to address this than than I am, but I can only recall when we were in Charleston, Scott, at um, SCAC AIAG conference, right? And yep. we saw a speaker from the UK who was saying, it's not whether you've been hacked, it's when they will activate it. And, you know, with things like social engineering scams that take $40 million for one PO off of an unnamed but largest in the country um, automotive company or, you know, or other efforts. I mean, you know, the well-known issues like Target, who I think basically that was someone who swept their parking lots or, you know, mowed the yards at their, um, you know, that. There are a thousand ways into companies, and I think we're just waiting to see how people will activate it. And of course, they continue to actively try to attack this. And I think it's pretty credible, at least the FBI says it is, that this was a Russian organization that was backed by the Russian government um, to do this. And despite their earlier claim, the FBI claiming they got all of the ransom back, they did not get all of the ransom back. It's been discovered that they only got 2.7 of the 5 million back. And Kevin, I'd love to hear your thought on this, paying the ransom, yes or no? <laughs> so, yeah, I believe, first of all, no, I don't think you should pay the ransom. 
But there's always a balance between uh, the loss of paying a ransom and, and the loss in value because of loss of trade or loss of value of, of, uh, or effect on overall society. We're in a position now, unfortunately, because we have not addressed the cybersecurity issues uh, that, it, you know, in the short term, it may be better to pay the ransom. Uh, you know, it's a cost-benefit analysis. What can I say, right? But we need to really fix cybersecurity so that ransomware doesn't pay. Mm. I, think, I think it's worth every company to figure out what their ransom number is mm. and, and spend that amount, some, some portion of that amount, on doing more frequent backups. Because even in the case of Colonial, they got the fix. The fix didn't work. And they still had to back up to like two or three days prior because they weren't backing up frequently enough. Mm. And I, I just think companies, need, they need to take both the, the blocking. And I think this is probably where so many companies have the gap. They need to take the, the pre preventive measures, but they also need to take, just like in supply chain, they need to take the responsive and resiliency measures and recovery measures as seriously as they do the preventive measures. Mm. Right. It's that cybersecurity hygiene, but things you're supposed to be doing anyway that gets you in trouble. We just lit Kevin Jackson on fire right there. Right. <laughs> that, that you are so right. I mean, you are. That's just I saw it's frustrating. It's got to be frustrating from your standpoint, Kevin, because I can tell you that watching companies ignore the, the fragility of their supply chains for decades has been frustrating for me and Scott. Yeah, what you mean? You don't back up? Duh. <laughs> right. right. Come on, man. Um, well, you, you know, uh, I saw over the weekend while the FBI is advocating, as both of y'all are, to not pay the ransoms. I saw where the ransoms paid could be uh, claimed as a deductible uh, deduction by the IRS. So we got to unite these policies, and, and we'll talk more about it. But I gotta, I gotta share some of these comments, folks. First, Winnie is back with us uh, from Indonesia. Great to have you back, Winnie. Let us know what you're seeing from a cyber or uh, port standpoint in your network. Yeah, in Indonesia, that'll be really interesting to hear what she's seeing. Right. Peter says, he's unclear on how bills or legislation will change some twit clicking a bad link in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, some obscurely training that's not done. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because I just took a look at a company – uh, just like late last week that wants to uh, disable twits from clicking those kind of, of clickbait and dangerous files, but still preserve um, the integrity of, for instance, the email or whatever. Uh, so I think, I think technology will come up with an answer for a lot of those problems. Yes. Uh, either, either technology or Kevin L. Jackson will develop <laughs> the fix. You know sure. what, Kevin? You don't need to talk about that company, as a matter of fact. So let's talk about that offline. All right. We're doing they all definitely time. need your insight. Kelly Barner, great to have you again. Uh, he said, uh, She says, and companies don't just have to ensure their own cybersecurity. They have to ensure their first and second tier suppliers. That they have yes. plans as well. Excellent point there, Kelly. Big Show Bob Bova is with us. He says, as digital transformation continues, cyber attacks will accelerate and become more negatively impactful. I don't see the government being ahead of the hacker community because they're a step behind. Any thoughts, uh, Kevin Gray? Oh, it's an it's a arms race, right? It's an arms race. <laughs> That's right. It's an arms race, and, and our opponent has no laws to constrain them from from you know, continuing to increase their armament. Okay. Right. And as long as the value of ransomware is more, is higher than the value of doing things the right way, the investors will invest in ransomware. It's a mark. I mean, it's capital. It's mark, yeah, you're right. It's, it's like anything else. It is. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, let's see here. Memory says companies always seem to be always playing a reactive role in cybersecurity as opposed to being proactive. And security is everyone's responsibility. Lots yeah. of head nodding there. Um, okay. So, LA, great to have you here via Facebook. You are you must be reading our notes because uh, <laughs> we're going to be moving straight from cybersecurity 
and we're going to be talking about uh, more supply chain tech and and specifically blockchain because Kevin, yeah. uh, it looks like we've got another wonderful uh, practical use case, and here we're talking cattle supply chain. So move us into the next topic. Oh, there. oh Kevin. Well, before we do, before we move into that, I want to I want to declare this a memory party. Uh, okay. I memory because because I don't I want you to tell me how much of your beef you're there in Joburg down there, and I want to know how much of your beef comes out of Zimbabwe mm. because Mastercard blockchain is increasing the visibility to the cattle supply chain. And they're using blockchain to get it, to improve the livestock supply chains in Africa through what they called e-livestock global. Hmm. So this is leveraging MasterCard's blockchain technology to have traceability. And this is directly to the cattle farmers in Zimbabwe. So this gives these uh, farmers more control over the origin and health records of their herd. They can provide proof of governance to increase the value of the cattle. And so that can help them support the sales growth projections. Memory eats a lot of beef there in Joburg. And uh, health records so they can access financial backing using their livestock as collateral assets for loans. So you can see how all of this links together in, in the economy. The buyers, on the other hand, can get guaranteed quality and uh, ability to mitigate the risk uh, because there was a recent you know, outbreak of uh, tick-borne disease in, in 2018, which led to the culling of like 50,000 head of cattle. And it really damaged the reputation of suppliers in the region. So, mm. so uh, memory, uh, do you eat beef? You, you may not even eat beef. You don't care about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like this. Uh, I'll try again here. It sounds like this, this practical use case is a complete and utter success. Anyone? Uh, <laughs> I, had, I had to do that just for Tom Raftery, uh, who did not like the, the, the move segue. But um, a lot of comments here. I, I want to do this here. Um, so would love y'all's comments on blockchain. Would love your comments on, on you know, beef and how do you think this might change your experience there and winnie uh, you know kind of in the broader uh, cyber uh, sense she says i believe globally there's this attitude of yeah i know but it won't happen to me until mm -hmm. it does most companies that are multinational know the importance of cyber securities but it's still a challenge to make small and medium enterprises in indonesia to be aware of this uh kevin your thought so i don't think it's limited to indonesia uh, mm -hmm. Small business is the number one target of these uh, ransomware uh, perpetrators because they know the small businesses can't afford to not be in business. So um, that's the number one target. Uh, the, the larger businesses, they at least make an effort at protecting their networks, they, but they are hard targets. It's the small businesses that are soft targets. But on the small businesses are often the gateway to the large businesses, right? Like the Target example we just yeah, talked about. If you can exactly. if you can break into some lawn services system, you know, into their accounting system and and somehow get into Target or whomever through that, mm -hmm. they're much, much easier target, even considering what Kevin, you've said, it, companies are just simply not diligent enough. So mm. right. Well, um, a lot of good thoughts. I want to share a couple other comments here. Nick says it's a circle economy uh, that way, going back to, to uh, the, the cattle supply chain. Mm -hmm. um, memory is answering your question, Kevin. I will admit I'm not aware of it. Uh, we'll, give, we'll give it a look because livestock is a capital with better risk than money in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, so Tom, so how many? So how many cattle is Bitcoin worth? <laughs> Tom says he's coming across several really interesting use cases for blockchain in the agri sector recently. Well, you know, it's been being done for a while um, in the seafood industry, right? In Indonesia, by the way, mm. um, and coffee it, across. Yes, yeah. yeah, verification of my favorite word, Scott. 
Provenance. <laughs> Provenance. That's coming. So, and then here we got two two kind of um, uh, different comments here. So Charles says COVID allowed him the opportunity to shift from wet pack to dry aged local source beef. Interesting there, Charles. But then Tom says he hasn't eaten beef for a long time because of its horrendous environmental consequences. So mm-hmm. different strokes, different folks for sure. Um, let's see here. Susan Walsh. Hello, Susan, uh, the classification guru. Is there some dirty data? I bet there's lots of dirty data across several of these stories we're talking about, right, Greg and Kevin? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Clean it up. Clean it up. That is right. And, and Susan, great to have you. Let us know where you're tuned in from. I, I want to say you are in uh, the UK. But let us know. Okay. So um, what are we talking? We got to move. We got to move from cattle supply chain in our, our last 15 minutes or so of the supply chain buzz because Kevin, you're a part, I believe of a really big event coming up this week, right? Tell us oh, about yeah. the, um, the global conference uh, via the TIA. So yeah, starting tomorrow, it's going to be the telecommunications industry association is having a global conference and members meeting. And uh, one of the highlights is a focus on the first ICT-specific global supply chain security standard. So they're really focusing on uh, uh, protecting the communications and telecommunications uh, industry supply chain. But these cyber attacks on the rise, they have, over the past years, I've been part of uh, a team that has been uh, uh, drafted what's called the uh, SES or Supply Chain Security 9001 standard. Mm. Um, And this standard is to actually help companies be able to keep uh, better records and information and provenance on the cybersecurity of every device that connects to the global network. All right. Now, don't get scared. You know, everyone say, well, I already do ISO 9001. Well, we're not replacing like ISO 9001. These are the supply chain specific items that 9001, like the ISO, does not address. So it's built on top of uh, the ISO. Hmm. And um, it's scheduled to be released later this year. And in the United States, at least, the uh, the government, uh, the U.S. government, federal government, has stated that, you know, as I've talked about later, there are laws coming out to protect supply chains, including in the um, ICT industry. So either the industry does it itself or the government is going to do it in this, you know, in one of these 115 laws that they haven't thought about. <laughs> what do you want to happen? Yeah. So this is going to be a process-based standard with measurable and verifiable um, uh, metrics mm. uh, that providers and suppliers for businesses, governments, and consumers can, can actually use and leverage. And they got some heavy hitters. Uh, U.S. Senator, Senator Lujan from New Mexico who chairs the subcommittee on communications, media, and broadband is going to speak. Mm. FCC Commissioner Jeffrey Starks, uh, the Associated Administrator for International Affairs with the National Telecommunications Information Administration, NTA, is going to speak. And also uh, Walter Capon, the 16th Director of NIST. So the industry is really focusing on this digital supply chain as well. Love that. And folks, you can learn more at TIAonline.org. We've enjoyed, a uh, Kevin and I enjoyed a recent webinar with the uh, great folks over at TIA a few, about a month or so ago. Uh, but, but hey, I love the voice and the role they're playing in um, strengthening the infrastructure that, you know, keeps global supply, keeps global business, keeps global humanity moving, right? Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I want to wrap with just a couple of quick comments here from the cheap seats, and then we're going to circle back and we're going to hear what Greg's got planned this week. We're going to hear what Kevin's got planned this week, and then we're going to call it a day. Let's see here. Um, So Susan, uh, she's in the UK. She's a Scot living in England. How about that? Can anyone understand what you say in England? Yeah, that's a great question. They really struggle with Scottish accent in England. 
That is a good question. Uh, let's see. Winnie says in 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 Indonesia. Gosh, since COVID nineteen, there's been a significant rise in cyber crime. So they're seeing it locally. Uh, Nick says, "Hey, you got to have better weather than here in Scotland. Uh, there in England." So <laughs> Nick, paint us All a picture right. of the weather you're seeing here lately. We've had a pretty bad tropical storm come through and really create a lot more havoc than I think most folks expected here in the states, especially the southeast. Um, let's see here. I, w- I want to. I do want to go back to one thing. I don't know if I can grab it. Um, let's see here. Uh, Mervin had mentioned it, and I probably it's probably too buried too deep. But you now I mentioned on the front end how in our insiders group via LinkedIn we were talking food, right? We kind of threw the question out there that um, you know what's your favorite dish in your neck of the woods or a restaurant or what have you. So Mervin shared uh, an, uh, an Indian dish that we made, the chicken dish, right? Well, Mer- <laughs> Mervin and Manny were talking, and Mervin said, hey, glad you liked it, and I hope Gracie gave it a great review. So <laughs> Gracie's our middle <laughs> child that has got some culinary prowess at an early age, and uh, even when we make ramen for ramen, whatever, ramen. I'm corrected all the time, for our kids, they're always grading me on, on how, how good really? it is. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, good thing you take ramen. Uh, that is right. So, be hey, be well, making everybody aware of Gracie's harsh reviews. Quite, quite a food critic. Scott, I think Vicki can help you. She does this thing called souped up ramen that the kids love. So, mm. I bet she'd be willing to share that recipe. Oh, how about that? Okay. I'm going to have to check that out. And, and Vicki, yes. We want to get Vicky, so we're going to do a lot more of um, food stories and stuff, so that we can all kind of take a break from all the other issues we're talking about here today. And I hear Vicky is um, kind of like a, a secret chef, uh, so we're going to oh. get a lot of her stories and recipes yeah. out. Um, okay, I hear a new show. For us to yeah. now. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. maybe, but at the very least, uh, some nice kindred spirits. Supply chain chow. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Like that. I like that. I like that. Amanda liked that. I heard her laughing uh, around the corner from me. <laughs> um, so let's. Um, I, I want to get get a snapshot. So both of y'all have got some some big weeks, uh, big week planned here this week. Um, Greg, you've got take your shot amongst other things coming up on Wednesday. Give us a little pre uh, sneak peek of that, would you? Yeah. So uh, we did this in April, and we're trying to get on a month monthly cadence with this, but. Uh, we're going to have three founders of supply chain tech shows or supply chain tech companies. Take your shot as a tequila sunrise series where they will pitch in three minutes their entire live stream in front of three very knowledgeable judges and take the feedback, whether they like it or not, <laughs> to, to, what their, to what their business pitch is. It's an incredibly um, high pressure environment. It takes guts to do it. Nick and I talked about that all weekend, and um, and the you know our judges are knowledgeable. So Balaji Gopinath, who some of you may know, is a venture capitalist, our general partner at um, at Kubera Venture Capital, and will be doing it live in the same room with me. So I can kick him under the table if he becomes Mr. Wonderful. Um, and um, and Robin Gregg, the CEO of RoadSync, she's obviously a very knowledgeable uh, founder. And Enrique Alvarez from Vector Global Logistics, one of the top supply chain minds, just in my opinion, especially in physical logistics uh, out there. So uh, you're not going to be able to snow anyone in this. You better be right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we look forward to that. Uh, take your shot. I don't think I'm. I don't think I messed up again and said take your pitch. You did not. You said shot. You did good. Okay, Ke- did good. Kelly uh, did the branding right. mentioned it in the comments. So take your shot. Here it comes uh, Wednesday at twelve noon Eastern time. Yeah, and Greg. If you want, as as I go to Kevin next, if you want to grab anyone that wants to say hello from Groover Labs here in the last few minutes, feel free to to pull them in. I think we'll have to do that next week. I think or next or maybe on Wednesday. Wednesday. I'm, they're, yeah, they are busy uh, cranking it out here. Wonderful. Okay. okay. Kevin, so tell us about what you got uh, up your sleeve this week. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm going to be with the TIA. And uh, uh, my company, uh, Total Network Solutions, TNS, where we are unveiling a uh, what we call the enhanced MEID, uh, which is a blockchain-enabled capability to uh, track the provenance 
of telecommunication devices <laughs> and equipment, including um, RFD tags, uh, sensors, uh, anything that mm-hmm. connects to the wireless network. So you can improve uh, slop, uh, supply chain tracing, cybersecurity, and all of that. So we have a, a booth there, a virtual booth that we're, we're going to be um, uh, manning. And then on uh, uh, also this week, I'm going to get the opportunity to uh, interview uh, Mr. Praveen Rao, who is the managing director at IBM for blockchain analytics and partnerships. And now think about what he's going to be able to tell me about how IBM is leveraging blockchain globally for cloud analytics uh, and the IoT technologies to to solve industry challenges around managing, guess what, supply chain and procurement. So uh, that's going to be a huge and uh, we're we're going to uh, try to get that out um, later before the end of the month. So uh, on the next Digital Transformers, because he is a digital transformer. Yes, he is. I hate to miss that one, but I think we're going to try to get that out on Monday. So stay tuned, folks, uh, for a great conversation there. Um, Hey, Kevin, I don't know if you can let this cat out of the bag just yet. Uh If you can't, just kick me under the digital table. (laughs) Um, But you've got a a trip coming up to Galveston. Can you share what's going on? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as uh, as uh, you, many of you may know, if, if you're in the United States, you probably know, uh, Juneteenth has been uh, designated as a national holiday. Now, right. uh, if you, a uh, little bit of U.S. Uh, history, uh, the United States had a civil war, and uh, uh, at the beginning of the Civil War, President Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation that freed all of the slaves in succeeding states. So little known fact, it didn't apply to the states in the North that also had slaves like Mm -hmm. Maryland, uh, but only applied to the states uh, in the Confederacy. So um, the the North, you know, won the, the overall war, but the very last battle was in Galveston, Texas. And the slaves there in Galveston had didn't know anything about the Emancipation Proclamation, obviously. Mm, so right. on June 19th, when the Union forces defeated the Confederates, that was the first time they heard or knew that they were actually free. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was June 19th, and that's Juneteenth, right. uh, National Holiday of Freedom. Uh, in, in the United States. And the actual courthouse where uh, in Galveston, where that actually occurred, is going to be turned into a um, historic, it's, it's already a historic monument, but that's going to be turned into a Juneteenth museum. And I've been asked to be the uh, technical advisor for the technology that's going to be used to create a virtual experience around the uh, Juneteenth um, uh, exhibit. Wow. So stay tuned for, for more on this. I'll be down in Galveston um, uh, in July, uh, first week in July, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to do some uh, live uh, reporting. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> Congratulations and thanks for spearheading that, man. I really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. That's awesome. I look forward to, to, to all of the content out of there and learning a lot more. Um, you know, uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I saw one of my friends say over the weekend, uh, so many of y'all, he was saying, are late to the Juneteenth party. I've been celebrating it for decades. Where have y'all been? And and I got to tell you, um, I'm, I've learned a ton just in the last few days about the history, kind of what you painted there, mm-hmm. Kevin. And uh, we're looking forward to, to hearing about your trip and being a part of how we can create some content there around uh, that awesome uh, initiative. So thanks for sharing. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, folks make sure. So Greg tequila sunrise, uh, that is a, um, while there's lots of tequila sunrise programming here on kind of the mothership supply chain. Now you can also find tequila sunrise wherever you get your podcast from. So, so stay tuned for the next big season, which is going to launch in August. Is that right, Greg? Yep. That's right. So we'll take a little summer break. Well, (laughs) except for the take your shot. Right. Except for the live streams, we're going to keep doing those. So, 
That's right. Uh, so so uh, stay tuned for that. And th- then you've got Digital Transformers that Kevin leads here. Yes. Uh, and 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 find that and many other things that Kevin's a part of uh, across social, uh, and stay tuned as we as we roll out some new campaigns and shows just around the corner. And Peter, I'm with you. Uh, he says now at least I know what Juneteenth is all about. Thank you, Kevin. Well, that's the biggest thing in Canada, right? Right. That's true. Um, okay, so we're gonna let. Greg get the work and Kevin's got uh, both these folks have a, have a big week folks. Thanks so much for tuning in today. P- really appreciate everybody's comments. Uh, sorry, we couldn't get to all of them. Uh, stay tuned on that food initiative. We're going to give ch- folks a chance to connect and in other ways beyond supply chain. So more to come on that, uh, more to come on the, the July um, professional development session that Peter Bolay will be part of along with some other friends. Um, and on behalf of our entire team here, Greg and Kevin and, Clay and Amanda, other folks behind the scenes, have a wonderful week. Uh, you know, challenge everything this week. Uh, that's going to be the theme. But most importantly, do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And we'll see you next time right here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.